Welcome to the New Wine Podcast. My name is Jay Matthew Barnes, and the goal of New Wine is simply this, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world. This is podcast number 15, and here's the question we'll try to answer this time. What is wrong with being judgmental, and how does being judgmental impact our ability to follow Jesus well in the real world? So what's so bad about judgment? I mean, it's a pretty natural thing to do after all, isn't it? I don't know about you, but if I were to track how often I was being judgmental, I'd probably judge someone or something or myself every single minute of every day. And if I'm honest, this attitude of judgment that I have is detrimental to me following Jesus in the real world. But why is this the case? Why is judgment such a bad thing for me to engage in as a follower of Jesus? Specifically, why is judging others and judging myself so detrimental to being on mission with Jesus? I think in order to answer these questions, it'll be good to approach this from several different angles. First, it'll be good to look at a few passages from the Bible that talk about judgment and its role in the life of a follower of Jesus. Second, it might be good to look at the way that judging others and ourselves may impact the way we live in the real world. And third, I think it will be beneficial for us to think about the way that the church is perceived by those who have yet to follow Jesus. And fourth, it will be good for us to think about how to move forward knowing the things that we've learned together. So beginning with the Bible, the Old Testament is full of passages which speak about judgment. Here are a few examples. Psalm 9-7 says this, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. It appears that the psalmist is saying that one of God's chief roles is that of a judge, and one of his chief actions is that of judgment. This should not come as a surprise to anyone who has thought that much about the Judeo-Christian conception of God, since this is the common way we think about God. Or better, this is a common way that everyone thinks about God, Judeo-Christian or not. In addition, this idea of judgment also comes with negative connotations, specifically the idea that is that God is judging us as coming up lacking and that he will punish us as a result. But the Old Testament is also full of ideas that God's people are happy that God is the judge. Here's another example from the Bible. Psalm 97.8 says, Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. This is in line with the idea that God is the judge, and that he will ultimately judge his enemies and those of his people. And this judgment will be full of vengeance for all the wrongs which have been done to God's reputation and to his people. Therefore, it makes sense for the people of God to rejoice in these sorts of judgment. But there are also plenty of places in the Old Testament where individuals in particular are not thrilled with the idea of God serving as judge. Here's an example. Psalm 143.2 says this, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The psalmist here is getting at a universal truth that is evident to all of us if we think about it for just a second, namely that we're all messed up. If God is perfect and he is the one serving as judge, then we will all come up lacking. 
Therefore, the idea of God as judge is both something that is used positively when God is judging others and negatively when God is viewed as ju judging an individual. But the scope of God's judgment is also something discussed in the Old Testament. In Ecclesiastes 12.14, we read these words, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. God's purview is all-encompassing. There's nothing that is beyond his sight. This is both a beautiful thing, because it means that God witnesses and cares deeply about the hardships of his people, but it's also a horrible thing, because it means that God witnesses and cares deeply about the ethics, the moral fortitude, and the behavior of his people. And lastly, the prophets in the Old Testament have much to say about judgment. They primarily say a few things. Number one, that God is the judge. Number two, that he will judge the enemies of God's people. And number three, that he will judge God's people as well. It appears to me that in the Old Testament, the conception of judgment has to do with God serving as judge, and certainly not people serving as judges themselves. Now, of course, God did entrust to some that role within the nation of Israel, namely deciding matters between people, such as legal judges and kings. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, the idea here is that of pronouncing judgment against someone based on their behavior or actions. That kind of judgment is the kind that only God can make. The Old Testament is clear. God is the judge. That position has been filled. But what about the New Testament? What does it have to say about judgment? In much the same way, the New Testament also speaks about judgment being God's role. Here's a great example from the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. In this passage, Paul is very clearly saying that it is God who serves as judge of human beings and not people, at least not ultimately. Interestingly, we also get a picture of, of the judgment of God being handed over to Jesus in the New Testament. In John 5.22, it says this, The Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Here it seems to be saying that in light of Jesus and his work, we all will be judged. Jesus is the matrix through which everything is measured. Not human traditions, not denominational norms, not religious practices, or nothing else of that sort, but the single factor of one's judgment is one's connection to Jesus. So in the New Testament, like in the Old Testament, we have a picture of God being the judge and not us. Paul therefore says with great confidence in Romans 14:13 these words, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. The implication in this passage is great. Paul equates not passing judgment with not placing a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of someone. In other words, if we judge people, we get in their way. In the way of what? What do we get in the way of if we judge others? Here's what I think. When we judge people, we prevent them from seeing the love and grace of God who is the only judge. When we judge others, we prevent them from truly learning how to live as they were created to live, namely, to live the human life of Jesus in their human lives. 
when we judge others, we prevent them from accomplishing that which God created them to do. Paul describes this in Ephesians 2.10 by saying that we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As we judge others, whether inside the church or out, we are preventing people from being used by God to accomplish His purposes. We are preventing folks from engaging the will of God to reconcile all things to Himself through Christ Jesus. It's for this reason that not judging others is a major issue for us to consider as followers of Jesus. So what kind of impact does our judgment of others and ourselves have on our abilities to follow Jesus in the real world? Now I think there are a number of ways that judgment gets in the way, that that judgment serves as a stumbling block preventing folks from participating with God in his mission in this world. First, if we as followers of Jesus focus on judging others or ourselves, we aren't focused on the mission to which we have been called. If we're spending all of our times looking into the lives of others to see what's wrong there, what can be pointed at and poked at, or doing the same thing to ourselves, then we're not engaged in the ministry of reconciliation for which we were created and for which we were saved by Jesus. In other words, judging others and ourselves prevents us from fulfilling our callings as followers of Jesus. Now, part of following Jesus certainly includes sharing the good news with others through our words and our actions. And if we're busy judging ourselves, it might be hard to share this good news because we may be focused on all the ways that we can't or shouldn't share the good news instead of all the ways that God is calling us to share the good news. Also, if we're focused on judging others, then we're going to have a difficult time sharing the good news with our words and actions because we might not have an audience. If we're actively judging others, why would they want to hear what we have to say? It's called good news, not bad news or judgmental news or anything else like that. This is the good news of Jesus. And if God is the judge and he has appointed Jesus to fulfill that role of judge now, then who are we to think that we should judge anyone? Another way that being judgmental gets in the way of us following Jesus in the real world is that last phrase, the real world. If we're all honest with ourselves, then we will be able to admit that there's much that could be judged in ourselves and in the world. If it was our job to be the judge of everyone, including ourselves, then we would never rest. All of our energies would be consumed with pointing out the failures in ourselves and others. The real world in which we live is messy and broken. But as a quick aside, when Jesus encounters the messiness and brokenness of this world, he can restore it to great beauty even in the midst of all of that messiness and brokenness. There is great hope to be found in Jesus, the judge, as he intersects with our lives through his grace, his love, and his good news. But all of this begs a question about how the church is perceived out there in the real world. Are we perceived as people who are on mission with Jesus, sharing his love and his good news and his hope? Or are we perceived in some other ways? A study by the Barna Group in 2007 illustrates this perception of us really well. This study is not alone, but it's right in line with many other studies of its kind. In the Barna Group study, people aged 16 to 29 were asked to describe Christians. 
almost without fail, the first word that people used who had yet to follow Jesus when describing Christians was this word, judgmental. Now, this word was closely followed by things like too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, etc. But what I find very telling is that the very first thing that many people who had yet to follow Jesus think about us is they think that we are judgmental. Now, we could have an interesting discussion about whether or not this is fair, but that's not the point. The point is that people to whom we are called to share the good news think we are judgmental. In other words, if we're going to share the good news with our words and actions, then one of the first things we're going to have to overcome is this label of being judgmental. And friends, this is no easy task. Erasing this moniker from our public perception will, be, will likely take decades. But the good news here is that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, this label can be altered a bit more quickly. As we interact with our friends and family where we work, live, and play, then they can begin to see in our lives that we are not judgmental. In fact, that's only the case if we are actively seeking not to be judgmental. But how do we do this? In light of being viewed as judgmental by those who have yet to follow Jesus, how do we move forward? Is there even hope? Well, here are a few ideas. Number one, we need to get over our idea that we have it all together. We need to stop presenting the world a false facade that says, I'm all right, my family's all right, everything's good. We need to stop pretending that we don't have any problems or struggles or issues or any other sort of things like that. Instead, we need to be a bit more authentic. We need to admit when we're wrong. We need to stop pointing so much at ourselves and our accomplishments and instead point to Jesus who is our Savior and our primary example. Number two, we then need to do the same for other people. We need to allow other human beings in our lives to be just that, human beings. We need to understand that they, like us, are flawed. They will make mistakes. They will let themselves down and us too. Furthermore, those who have yet to follow Jesus, they don't abide by the same covenant that those of us who follow Jesus do. It's wrong of us for lots of reasons to expect them to behave as if they follow Jesus before they actually follow Jesus. Number three, we need to develop some actual relationships with people who are far from Jesus. Unfortunately, many of us who follow Jesus surround ourselves only with other people who also follow Jesus. We create for ourselves Christian bubbles. And inside of these bubbles, it's easy to look to those outside of them with disdain. But if we enter into real, authentic friendships with those who have yet to follow Jesus, we will find it harder and harder and harder to stand in judgment against them. Instead, we will have feelings of love and empathy for them. We will desire greatly to share with our words and actions the good news of Jesus with them. Number four, and really this one is the most important one, we need to pray. First, we need to pray a prayer of thanks to God who serves as our judge through his son Jesus. We need to say thank you that he has chosen to hold back his judgment of us thanks to the work of his son Jesus. We also need to pray that God would move in us to help us stop judging ourselves and instead view ourselves the way God does, as beings full of potential, full of the gifts of the Spirit, full of great capacities to express his love to a world in great need of it. 
And we also need to pray that God will move us through his spirit to be less and less judgmental with those that we meet in the real world who have yet to follow Jesus. We need to ask him to be with us as we speak, as we use facial and body expressions, as we interact with people in the real world. We need to ask God to remind us consistently of his great grace for us and how he has made us agents of that same grace for others. And then lastly, we need to pray for every opportunity we can to share the good news of Jesus with words and actions with our neighbors and friends and family where we work, live, and play. And we need to ask God to help us find ways to overcome this label of being called judgmental. Because friends, it's only by the grace of God that this can be accomplished. Thanks for exploring the topic of judgment with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And also check out my website, jmatthewbarnes.com. That's jaymatthewbarnes.com. And while you're at my website, get a free two-week devotional on 1 John that I've written called On Mission in 1 John. There should be a bar at the top of the screen where you can enter your email address so that you will be emailed a download link. Thanks for your time. Grace and peace.